as we gather tonight in the stillness and the darkness of Good Friday. There are so many things we could contemplate from the readings of Christ's passion tonight, from the wonderful testimony and amazing prophecy 700 years in advance of the suffering servant. But as I anticipated this moment tonight, what kept leaping off the pages of the scriptures was Isaiah 53.10, that in the midst of the silence and the darkness of Good Friday, of the slain Savior, this verse rings again and again and again. And it opens this way. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. How could this possibly be the Lord's will that he would be crushed and suffer so greatly? He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows. He was considered stricken by God, smitten and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Beaten, betrayed, mocked, crucified. The Lord laid upon him the inequity of us all. He bore the wrath of God that was ours to bear. He was cut off from the land of the living. He was assigned a grave with the wicked. How could this possibly be the will of the Lord? And we recognize that he was abandoned and betrayed by everyone. There might be no greater expression of depravity in the scriptures than Isaiah 53.3. I love the way the New Living translates the second part of the verse. It puts it this way. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. What a definition and exposition of depravity. That here the perfect Son of God, and yet we did not care. We were too wrapped in our own regard. Again and again, the scriptures assert that he was innocent. There was no violence to him, no deceit found in his lips. And yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. And when we stop and we begin to contemplate on that, it speaks so powerfully to us. Because there are those who would assert that somehow Jesus is just a good moral teacher and he got caught up in things beyond his control. That perhaps this is just the meaninglessness under the sun that happens in this world. He was not even just a martyr who died for what he believed in. But there was so much more going on. Evil was doing its worst. Humanity was pouring out its violence upon him. Judas betrayed him. False accusations were leveled. The chief priests condemned him. Herod did not stand by him. And Pilate eventually washed his hands of him. But yet behind all of this, it was the Lord's will to crush him, that he would be stricken, that there was something else going on beyond the human scene, that while people sought to do their worst, God was in fact working his best 
to transform us. We recognize the incredible words of Jesus himself. No one takes my life from me. He declared I could call down 12 legions of angels. Yet no one takes my life from me. But what does Jesus declare? I lay it down. For this was the Lord's will. It was the Lord's will. So I lay my life down. How could it be the Lord's will that one so innocent and so pure would suffer? Well, it was not in the agony, but it was in the effect that was brought. As we turn to the next part of that verse. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering. And there is the key. That Jesus did not die for his sins. He gave his life as a guilt offering. When we travel back to the book of Leviticus, the end of chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6, they talk about the guilt offering on top of the burnt offering and the sin offering and all these other offerings that are given. But it ends with the guilt offering. The guilt offering contains within it the atonement for a sin given intentionally. But also, uniquely, it carries the idea of reparation. So sometimes it's called the reparation or the satisfaction offering. The recognition that in order for forgiveness and true reconciliation to happen, a debt has to be paid. Things have to be made right. We recognize that in the story of Zacchaeus. In coming to faith, he what declares, I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor, and then I will repay anyone what I have stolen fourfold. I will make restitution. Well, Zacchaeus had the means and the wherewithal to make restitution. But when it comes to sin, we recognize we do not have what it takes to offer a true guilt offering. That that was why Jesus came. He was the ultimate gift, the ultimate guilt offering to Pay for our sins the burden that we could not pay. Only God himself could pay on our behalf. And in the book of Revelation in chapter 13, it declares that he was the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. That this was the Lord's will. It was always God's plan for this to happen because it changes everything. That God might be, as Paul puts it in Romans, both the one who is just and the one who justifies. That he is the one who is righteous and perfect and absolutely holy, but also the one who is loving and merciful. And so in his grandness of wisdom, he offers his one and only son to save us, a full and sufficient sacrifice. And then a profound change begins to happen in Isaiah 53. As we read through it, we could picture the life of this suffering servant as a futile life, as one who is left without descendants, one whose life is over, one who seems cursed and smitten by God. But yet, a reversal happens. A beautiful transformation at the end of verse 10. 
it says, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And verse 10 finishes with these three incredible promises that he will see his offspring. Well, that can only happen if he is alive. And what does the book of Hebrews tell us? That he, in his suffering, brought many sons to glory. That he is the fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham that one day his descendants would be more numerous than the stars in the sky. In Revelation, he is the one who has given his life to purchase a person from every tribe, tongue, and nation under the sun. And he will have prolonged days. What was the promise made all the way back to David? That one day there would be a son of his who would sit on the throne of David forever. And that is the risen Lord Jesus. And it is the will of the Lord that will prosper in his hands. As we read tonight of Jesus in the garden, we are reminded in that moment when Jesus prays, Father, if there is any way for this cup, this cup which is your wrath to pass from me, let it be so. But if there is no other way, then not my will, but your will be done, Father, as it is in heaven. And so Jesus, in his obedience, as he has always lived, dies in obedience, fulfilling the incredible promise of Isaiah 53.10. And so as we gather tonight in this stillness, in the darkness of Good Friday, we hear the echoes, yet it was the Lord's will. And in that, not only do we find salvation for some day, we find incredible strength for the journey today. Because if we are honest, when we look at our world, it feels as though it has gone off kilter. So often it looks and feels as if evil and darkness are winning. How is it that we can have the hope to carry on in the midst of our grief and the pain and the hardships that we face in this world? But that is where Good Friday speaks so powerfully to us. Because if God's plan can be to take the darkest, most evil moment in all of history, the death of the perfect Son of God, and use it to accomplish the greatest good in all amazement, then we know that what God faces today in our world is by comparison nothing. Because He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That we have a God who is good and who continues to reign. It was the Lord's will that He would be crushed. Jesus, it is told in Hebrews 12, what? For the joy set before him endured the cross and he counted it as a scorn. He scorned the cross, treating it as nothing in comparison for the joy before him. And so tonight as we sit in the darkness in just a moment, as we remember through the Lord's Supper 
we recognize the incredible price that our sin cost. The death of the perfect, sinless Lamb of God. And that He did it with eyes wide open. He knew the depth of our sin, our betrayal, and our uninterest. He knew the moments when we would fail and when we would stand tall. But yet He went to the cross anyway. For it was the Lord's will. So tonight we remember and we rejoice in His sacrifice as we long and look forward to the